Welcome to episode 15 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today we're going to continue in our series on women of the Bible. Again, one of my favorite topics. I love talking about women and how God uses women throughout the entire Bible, even if their stories are not told and even if the passages about them are not particularly long. Now today we're going to be talking about Deborah, who turns out to be far more controversial than I originally realized. I, you know, read her story thought and prayed over it, and then I did my usual research, and as it turns out, there's a lot of controversy that I didn't really understand existed on this deep of a level, so it'll be really interesting to cover today. Deborah is an incredible woman in the Bible. We get to see a female judge, one who helps lead Israel to victory, and one that God uses as a prophet, and one who ushers in a period of peace for Israel that is given by God. So let's go ahead and dive into her story today. Hey Millennial, welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface-level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much that you meet with us and that you love us and you are always present, always willing to be with us and working through us. I pray that you would speak through me today, um, that all of the words that I speak would be coming from you and you alone. I pray that through the story of Deborah, we would be so inspired to be closer to you and to step into the roles and callings that you have given us and to just desire to know more about you and worship you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we dive into Deborah's story, I think we're going to need a little bit of context here just to make sure we're all on the same page about what's going on historically at this period of time that she steps into. So the context here is that God led the Israelites through Moses. The story of Moses is very famous. It's primarily told through the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, if you wanted to read them. But of course, it's also Moses is mentioned many times in the Bible besides that. At this point, Moses died. And then later, Joshua, he became the leader of Israel for a time. And then before the story starts, Joshua is going to die as well. Now, the Israelites at this point, they were fighting other nations for land because God had rescued them from Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh, where they were slaves. And he brought them through the leadership of Moses and later Joshua into the promised land so that they could live in the place that God had promised to them. And in order to do that, there were already people living there. So they were fighting other nations for the land that God had promised. Now, they didn't completely obey God. There were several times that God had told them that they were supposed to completely drive out or eliminate the people who were living in those areas, and they didn't do so. 
God also says that they made covenants with people living in the land and they were not supposed to do that. And they also didn't destroy the altars to the false gods that the people who were living in those lands had made. So they were supposed to only worship God and not worship the gods that had already been traditionally worshipped by the people living in this area. So they had failed in a lot of ways. They didn't conquer all the land that that was given to them by God. And then Joshua dies. Before we get into Deborah's story, we need a little more context about who the judges were supposed to be. And to get that, I want to read directly how they are described in the book of Judges, chapter 2. So this book is early on in the Bible. Now, chapter 2, verse 10. After that generation, meaning the one under Joshua, had died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal in the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. I'm going to pause here for a second. I just want to say that God's people were supposed to live as God had instructed, and they were only supposed to worship him as I had said before. I also want to say that God warned them a lot, a lot, a lot of times that if they turned away from the ways that he had said that they should live, including worshiping only him, that they would be punished. And even despite these warnings, they did it anyways. And then God is faithful to do what he said he was going to do, which was what's described here in Judges 2. I also want to acknowledge that in the next part I'm going to read, which is a continuation of Judges 2, God hears their cries and he saves them. This is a consistent theme in the Bible. The people abandon the Lord, they face their punishment and consequences, sometimes at the hand of the Lord and sometimes just natural consequences. And then the Lord hears their cry and comes and rescues them over and over and over again. It's a consistent theme in the Bible. Now going back to Judges 2 verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Now pay close attention to this description of the judges. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. 
He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. That's the end of Judges 2. Now, a couple things I want to note. It's interesting to think that God tests us. It says specifically that he tested the Israelites here. Also, it's interesting to note that God gets angry. He does. God has been described as angry many times in the Bible, and often in the Old Testament is where we find that anger. And it's true that God definitely is described as angry, and the anger is directed towards the sin of his people by them abandoning him, by them refusing to follow in the way that they were intended to follow him, including giving their hearts and their worship to him and him alone. And this makes me all the more grateful for God's loving sacrifice in Jesus, because that anger that's directed towards their sin has ultimately been paid by the sacrifice and the love of Jesus. I also want to note that the heart of the Lord is to have compassion. You'll notice that when I was reading in verse 18, it said, For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. Now, I looked up that word pity, and it has also been translated in other parts of the Bible as compassion, comforter, repentant. And so it shows that God has that like love and compassion and comfort that sense that he wants to be with his people and united with them and rescuing them and loving them. And I love that that's also described here as well. We also clearly see that God hears his people and he's moved by their pain. So it said in verse 15, the people were in great distress, that they were upset, right? Because the Lord fought against them, they kept being defeated. And then the Lord, he raises up people to help them. He raises up judges and he has compassion on them and he works to love them and to continue to to save them in various ways throughout the rest of Judges. I also want to just define, make sure we understand what is the role of the judge. So we know for sure that they're meant to be with God because it says that whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel in verse 18, he was with that judge. So God and that judge are in some kind of close relationship. They are together. So we know that. So that's one thing that we can notice about the judges. The second thing that's described here is that God is going to rescue the people from their enemies throughout that judge's lifetime. Okay, so we also see that that is something else that's indicated that shows us that someone's a judge. The third thing is it was a sign that it was a judge if after that judge's lifetime, the people of Israel went back to even worse and more evil sin after that judge had died. So those are kind of the things that are described as what was happening when a judge was in place over Israel. Now, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar were all mentioned as judges before Deborah. And then Judges 4 and 5, Deborah is clearly the judge. So I'm going to skip Judges 3 and go straight to Judges 4, where Deborah is described as the judge. Now, I am going to skip a couple parts of Judges 4, and the only parts that I'm going to skip in Judges 4 are the parts that talk about Jael. Now, Jael is a different woman who's really interesting that I want to talk about in a different episode, so that's why I'm not reading the parts that are about her, but just know that there's going to be a little gap, and I'll tell you what happens, and then we'll come back to that passage and and talk about it another week. Judges 5 is a song that seems to be co-written by Deborah and Barak, one of the main characters alongside Deborah in this chapter. 
I'm only going to read part of the song, but I do recommend that you go back and read all of Judges 4 and 5 when you have time. It is all worth reading, of course, because it's the Bible. All right, story time. Here we go. Judges chapter 4. And please have uh, mercy on me because (laughs) I did not look up the pronunciation, I'm just going to be honest, of these names prior to recording. So if I say them incorrectly, I apologize. Judges 4 verse 1. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. I'm going to skip verse 11 because it has to do with jail. Verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Harosheth Hagiliam to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy all the way to Herosheth Hagiliam, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Skipping ahead to verse 23, just know that Sisera is now dead at the hands of Jael, who's a woman. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Moving on to Judges 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. Israel's leaders took charge and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings, pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, and the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and the days of Jael. People avoided the main roads, and the travelers stayed on winding paths. There were few people left in the villages of Israel. 
until Deborah arose as the mother for Israel. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates, yet not a shield or spear could be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. My heart is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war. Praise the Lord. Consider this, you who ride on fine donkeys, you who sit on fancy saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road. Listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord marched down to the city gates. Wake up, Deborah, wake up. Wake up and sing a song. Arise, Barak, lead your captives away, son of Abinoam. Down from Tabor marched the few against the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down against mighty warriors. They came down from Ephraim, a land that once belonged to the Amalekites. They followed you, Benjamin, with your troops. From Makir, the commanders marched down. From Zebulun came those who carry a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. That was verse 15. I'm going to skip down. This song continues. I'm going to skip down to the last verse, which is 31. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. All right, a few interesting notes before we talk about the attributes of Deborah and then talk about what we can learn about God through Deborah's story. So first, I just wanted to note that maybe Deborah was not actually married. So in the Hebrew, the word for wife and woman were the same word. So it's not really certain that when it says Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, that Lapidoth was actually her husband. It could actually mean something different. We're not sure. So one thing it could possibly mean is that Lapidoth is a place or it could be a moniker for her. So it could be Deborah, woman of whatever. And Lapidoth, it actually means torches or it can mean light or it can kind of be denoting like fiery lightning or fiery torches. So possibly Deborah could mean woman of lights, or even it could be interpreted as fiery lady, something like that. So it is kind of interesting just to note that. Another interesting thing that I came across is that Deborah might possibly mean bee, as in buzz, like the insect bee. Okay, let's get into some attributes of Deborah. So one thing that really struck me right away was that obviously Deborah is our only female judge. That is what she is known for. And I just thought that that was everyone agreed with that. But when I was looking into Deborah, studying her more, reading commentaries and things like that, it became quickly apparent to me that a lot of people think that she was not actually a leader of Israel or that she was appointed by God. So I find that a very interesting argument that I don't see as supported by scripture Let's talk about what's actually in the passage. Let's talk about what's really there. And I think when we read it, no matter what end of the spectrum you fall on, Deborah was clearly an acknowledged and respected leader, a judge for Israel, and a prophet of the Lord. It directly says she's a prophet, so that's hard to argue with. And then she's clearly in a leadership position. I think that's hard to argue with, even if you disagree with a woman being in a position of leadership. I think it's still clear that she was a leader. The reasons I think this is because the Israelites clearly came to her for judgment. 
It says directly in verse 5, She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Any way that you read that, it's clear people are coming to her for judgment. So I think we can agree on that. Now, some argue, like I said, that she wasn't appointed by God, but I find that strange because she clearly speaks as a prophet of the Lord accurately. So my question would be, are they then claiming that she disobeyed God by being a judge? Because she clearly was a judge. So if God didn't appoint her, was she doing that in disobedience? And yet she was being obedient and being a prophet. I find that to be too big of a, of a contradiction to quite make sense with what we have actually written in the Bible here. That is definitely my opinion. Now, she is certainly a prophet because what she says when she's speaking for the Lord actually comes to pass. So when she says something's going to happen and she says that the God, that God said something, it, it happens. And so that's a good test for whether the person is actually a prophet or not. In addition, many women in the Bible are described as being a prophet. Now, it also says in that text that she spoke to the Israelites. It said the Israelites came to her for judgment. So it doesn't specify that she was only judging women. It seems clear to me that by Israelites, she was judging both men and women. And she's doing this publicly beneath the palm of Deborah. So she's doing this in a public area, not behind closed doors. And we also have the fact that she is talking to Barak. She not only summons him to her, but she also tells him what's going to happen, you know, with him needing to attack um, Sisera's army. And then what she says is going to happen as a result, which is their victory, is something that actually happens. So we kind of contest there to see that she's an accurate prophet, that she's accurately prophesying for God. Now, I also found another argument that stated Deborah was only leading because no men were able to lead at the time or no men were stepping up to lead. I find that also a pretty bizarre argument. I don't think that's supported anywhere in the Bible. I don't see any verses that talk about that. And I feel like it's really grasping at straws because the passage doesn't say because there were no men who were able to lead at the time, Deborah was the judge of Israel. It doesn't say that. Barak was also clearly an adept leader of his military. He seems a capable man. He was not the judge of Israel. I don't know why that's the case, but it doesn't seem to me that the men in this passage were particularly weak. So I find that argument a little bizarre. Now, Deborah was clearly respected because when she told Barak God's message, he obeys it and he says, Deborah, you know, come with me. <laughs> he asks her to come with him. Now, I don't know why he does that. I have no idea. The text does not say, and I read a lot about people digging into the reasons why Barack might have said she comes with him. And I think a lot of it is honestly just speculation. The only thing I can say for sure is it does seem that he has some hesitancy in following those instructions. And I don't know why that is, because after he asks her to go with him, Deborah says that ultimately he's not going to get all of the, you know, glory and credit that actually a woman's going to get credit for killing Sisera. She says in verse nine, very well, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So it sounds like for whatever reason that he wanted her to go with him, the result is that he wasn't going to get the honor. And interestingly, it's actually not Deborah who gets the honor either. 
because she's not the one who kills Cicera. It's Jail, who I want to talk about in a future episode. Some people were also suggesting that Barack hesitated because he didn't want to follow the leadership of a woman or the words of a woman, which again, I find really bizarre because she he asks her to go with him and he also obeys her when she says it's time to attack. So I don't see where people are getting that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Now, another quality that we identified for someone being a judge is that God would rescue Israel during the judge's lifetime. Now, God does do that. He rescues the Israelites by having the army attack Sisera's army and then giving them victory and then continuing to make them stronger and stronger until they were able to push back against their oppressor, which was King Jabin. So it's clear to me that that quality that we had as describing a judge has been fulfilled. And then also in Judges 4.31, it says that there's peace for 40 years after the events that take place. I do not know about Deborah's lifespan. It's never mentioned here, but it seems possible that she continued to live since it's not mentioned that she dies. And maybe perhaps she lived for 40 years and that was her lifetime. And that's why there was peace because God was continuing to rescue Israel during her lifetime. Again, I don't know that for a fact, but it seems a logical conclusion to me. Then the chapter after the one that I read is chapter six in Judges, and the people go back to sinning. Now, that's another thing that was supposed to happen after each judge. So it's possible that, you know, Deborah, Deborah continued to be the judge for four years, and then she died, and then the people went back to sinning, and God calls another judge. That's not 100%, but that is something I think is a logical conclusion. Despite all the controversy, I think we can all agree that Deborah was an acknowledged and respected leader for Israel, and she was clearly a prophet of the Lord. God used her in magnificent ways, and she was able to respond to that calling on her life and able to do what God was asking her to do, even though it was maybe hard to do and maybe a little controversial. The second attribute I want to highlight for Deborah is that she had no fear in delivering the word of the Lord, even if it made people uncomfortable. She tells the hard truth to Barak and she tells him like, hey, I'll go with you. But look, here's the consequences. A woman is going to kill Sisera and is going to get the victory on that. And so I think it's clear that she is willing to whether And in this case, it's to a man. She's willing to deliver the word of the Lord. She's willing to deliver what God, God's message is. She's willing to tell Barak in the first place, hey, you got to attack Sisera's army, even though that seemed like a really scary thing because he has these iron chariots and he has a huge, massive, scary army. And God says, like, go attack. And you know what? Deborah delivered that message. He does what God told her to do, which in this instance was to be the prophet. The third thing I want to highlight is that Deborah is really discerning. The Israelites went to her for judgments. She clearly had a good sense of what to tell people, how to judge. I don't know what they were coming to her for judgments over, but she clearly had enough discernment that they continued to come to her because it says Israelites, multiple, were coming to her. And she knew when God was telling her that Barak needed to attack the morning of the attack against Sisera's army, she tells Brock, all right, today's the day. She has that discernment, that ability to know what God is telling her to do and then to go do it. The fourth thing I want to note is that Deborah is described as the mother of Israel. In the song that her and Brock seem to have co-written together, the exact phrasing is, 
Judges 5.1. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. So it sounds like they were singing and maybe creating this song together. And then in verse 7, it describes her as the mother of Israel, which I find so interesting. The exact words are, There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as the mother for Israel. It's almost like a described as like a turning point, right? Israel's doing its own thing. Things are not going well for them. They're being oppressed. And then under her, it sounds like there's a turning point where she becomes that mother for Israel. I don't know exactly what that means beyond that. There's not a lot of description given. It's really beautiful language and it puts her in a position of some authority and some nurturing perhaps and some guidance for the people. The fifth and last thing I want to note about Deborah is that she really praised God and she gave him the credit for victory. And we can see that very clearly in her song, Judges 5. And again, I didn't read the whole thing, but if you want to read the whole thing, I would encourage you to do so. In that whole song, she says, praise the Lord several times. She also talks about how God is really the one bringing about the victory. It says in verse 11, they recount the righteous victories of the Lord. Talking about how God is really the one who brings about victory. It also speaks, they also speak to his power. In verse 4, it says, Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. It's so beautiful, right? It talks about God being this powerful, powerful force, this incredible force that cannot, you cannot win against him. They give him that credit talking about how really God is the rescuer of his, of his people. He's the one who does the work and saves the people. It's not us. It's not the army who had success. It's God who brought about the success. I'd like to transition now. What are some things we can learn about God through Deborah's story? Because after all, we want to always come back to God and what he's doing. And the first thing I know is that God chooses women. God speaks clearly through Deborah. He's not limited by her being a woman. He's not limited by what culture says women can do, past or present. God chooses women. He chose her to be a prophet and she was clearly a leader of Israel. And God uses her in magnificent ways to bring about this beautiful victory for Israel to, to not be under the captivity anymore of King Jabin ultimately. He leads them on that path. The second thing is along these lines, God uses unlikely people and he does this consistently. A couple of examples, David, the king of Israel and the great, 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 lots of greats grandfather of Jesus was the youngest of seven sons, which was a very lowly position during that time. Gideon, who is a judge after Deborah, he's from the weakest tribe, which was Manasseh, and he was described by himself as the weakest in his family. Japheth was the son of a prostitute, and he was used as a future judge of Israel. Mary was the unwedded girl who God used to birth Jesus, to be the mother of Jesus. And she was probably between 12 and 16 years old, very young, crazy young, actually. Hannah, who I talked about last week, was unable to conceive in an age where fertility determined your status and God used her. Elizabeth was very old. She's described as very old and unable to conceive. And yet God used her to bring about the birth of John the Baptist, who was paving the way for Jesus 
What I want to point out here is that God looks at the heart. God looks at the willingness to respond to his calling. He's not looking at the social status. In fact, it seems a lot of the times that he uses the people who are least likely to be used. The least of society. That's God's economy. He views the heart, not what society or money says you have, but what he sees that you have. Third, God rescues his people, even knowing they'll abandon him again. Time and time again, over and over in the Old Testament, you will see the Israelites abandoning God, going to worship other gods, doing what was evil in his sight over and over and over again. And what does he do? He provides for them. He intervenes. He rescues them again and again and again. And we ultimately see this in the New Testament when we have the forever sacrifice of Jesus. God ultimately forever rescues us through the life and the sacrifice and the beauty of Jesus who took on our sins so that we didn't have to, that we would be made in right relationship with God and get to spend eternity in his presence. Fourth, God is mighty and nothing is too hard for him to accomplish. It might seem like literally everything is stacked against you, but you know what? Nothing is impossible for God. He can literally do anything. He can have a weaker army defeat a strong army with iron chariots. He can do that. He can do absolutely anything. The walls of Jericho fell with no one even physically attacking the walls. God can do anything. Nothing is too hard for him. And he can show up and accomplish anything in the lives of his people to further his purpose. All right, so just to review some attributes of Deborah. First, Deborah was an acknowledged and respected leader and judge for Israel, and she was also a prophet of the Lord. Deborah had no fear in delivering the word of the Lord, even when it made people uncomfortable. Deborah was discerning. Deborah is described as the mother of Israel during that time. Deborah praised God and gave him the credit for victory. And finally, what can we learn about God through Deborah's story? He chooses women. He consistently uses unlikely people. He rescues his people, even knowing they'll abandon him again. And nothing is too hard for him to accomplish because he is mighty. I'd like to close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you meet us where we're at, that you use unlikely people and that you don't do things according to the way the world does them. You are an incredible God. And we love you and we worship you. And I pray that you would show us how you are using us to accomplish your will. I pray that you would use every single woman listening. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, see you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.